Welcome to the RevTech Revolution. Today, Betsy is speaking with Sajan Gotham, CISO at Arvest Bank. Join us as they discuss leveraging AI for threat detection, establishing customer trust through data security, and the importance of cross-team collaboration on cybersecurity awareness. Let's get started on the RevTech Revolution. Hello and welcome. We are thrilled today to have Sajan Gotham join us for the RevTech Revolution. Sajan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. We are thrilled to have you. Um, one of the things that I think is so impressive about you and will be great for our audience to know about is you've spent 20 years developing and implementing information security programs with scopes that span from the local to the global. What got you interested in this work? And did you always know you wanted to be involved with computers and security in particular? Um, that's a very great question. Uh, I did not know because initially when I started in um, computing, uh, it was one interest led to another. I wanted to fix some of the networking issues. Then that led into identity and access management, systems administration, firewall, so on and so forth. Now I do love it because now I'm also doing their cyber risk management and whole gamut of the things. That's great. Did you um, did you have any passions as a child that kind of in, in the rearview mirror, it makes sense that you're doing what you're doing now? Or is this just, like you said, one thing led to another? It was one thing led to another. So it was not a straight line. It was a very curvy path uh, because one thing led to another. I wanted to explore something and then got into something else. So... Now that you're 20 years in, tell us a little bit about the role. So what does a chief information security officer at Arvest Bank do? And what are some of the most interesting aspects of your job? Yeah, sure. It's a whole gamut of things, right? A whole wide spectrum of responsibilities first to think from security architecture, engineering, and operations. That includes security operations include threat intel collection, monitoring, incident response, and the recovery side. So that is one area. Another is security program development and implementation, meaning identity and access management, vulnerability management, data security, all those, like insider trade and all those things. And then also thinking in terms of uh, other areas such as security awareness, risk management, strategy planning, and governance. So I'm also responsible for that. Uh, in addition to that, I'm also responsible for business continuity and business resiliency. Uh, so the overall business continuity and business resiliency, not just information security business resiliency. Uh, why is that? That is, that is because as a CISO, I do have the widest visibility in an organization. Uh, all the interconnectedness of the issues. So that's why I'm also responsible for that. So a lot of the people who are used to thinking in terms of the NIST framework and all, I'm responsible for identification to protection, detection, respond, and also the recovery of the things. So the whole gamut of the things. So that is a very wide scope. Um, what, what areas are you the most passionate about? But the passion changes when I do learn more uh, for the, yeah, because when I, lately uh, for the last couple of years, I have been more passionate about data security 
uh, and how we can use emerging technology to secure the data. Uh, because that is also accidental too, because when we started looking into the security operations, uh, what type of data we are collecting, where those data flow from one place to another, then it's like, oh, now I need to learn more about the data. So one thing led to another there. That's great. Well, so I want to dig more into that, but I think particularly in financial services, customer trust is so paramount. So is this um, fascination with the data connected with that creation of customer trust and a focus on cybersecurity? So tell me a little bit about um, how you see your job impacting customer trust at the bank. Yes, absolutely right. So as a financial organization, uh, we tend to collect a lot of the data and for business purpose, for good reasons, because um, financial institution or banking is the business of data. Uh, we do make a lot of the business decisions based on the data. So trust is very paramount. So not just from the data perspective, banking as a business is a business of a trust. So we need to establish trust with the customers. How do we do that? There are multiple avenues. First is being very transparent with what we collect and how we, what we collect and how we use that. Uh, are all the financial institutions do it? Maybe more or so, right? More or less, some do it, but that is the fascination that got me into this thing. And do you have any rules of thumb that you give your staff about customer trust um, and, and how their jobs interact with that at the brand level for the bank? Yes, absolutely. There are, first is be open about what to collect and why to collect, right? Because if I'm a customer, I want to know why the bank or the financial institution is collecting my data. What is the relevance of that certain information? So that is how we start. And then as much possible, share how that data is going to be used. And in case there is a compromise, how we are going to be communicating with them. So that is the foundation of it. We had a little bit of talk offline about over collecting data. And I'd love to know how you think about that. And again, how you communicate that with your teams. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very easy these days to collect as much data as possible, but what kind of rules of thumb do you set down to make sure that people can trust you because you're not over-collecting? Yeah, absolutely. So this is a, a, a shift in the thinking, and I learned this from a friend of mine, a friend mentor, Sonny Liu. Uh, he used, I mean, we used to call, talk about like data security and all these things, and then he flipped that, it's like, oh, there's a proliferation of data everywhere. But if you think about data as a liability instead of data as an asset, you collect only when what you need. Because when you think about asset, when you think about data as an asset, you overcollect. You, you want to collect everything. You want to accumulate assets. But when you think about data as a liability, you still collect them because we do collect liabilities for our mortgages, for everything, right? But when you collect that as a li when you think that as a liability, you collect only what you need. So that's a mind 
set chains. And uh, I communicated that to our um, employees and associates as well. And we do have several cyber security awareness messages centered around data as a liability. Uh, that's a mindset change. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating point. I've never heard anybody say it in that way. And I think it's a really provocative um, way to think about it. Uh, I guess my question, so as you know, our audience is primarily of revenue technology practitioners, um, CRM, marketing and sales operational type um, roles. What would your suggestion be about how they make that shift? What are some good examples of what thinking about data as a liability looks like in a bank? Yes. Yeah. First is like thinking about data as a liability. If we are, so there's a multiple way that I can answer that question, right? So the first one is when we think data as a liability, we do not collect a whole lot. Now we are saving the storage cost on it. If there is a data discovery situation for litigation and all those things, we are saving money there. Uh, we are saving money on the retention and all those things. So that is a that may not be a direct revenue generation, but that is saving on the cost. So that is one one way to take a look at it. Another way is define the use cases before collecting the data. Think how we are going to use that data because we have a habit of over collecting things without defining the use cases. So define the use cases. One wrong approach. Another is don't collect what you don't need. Yeah, I think that's really the the use case one in particular, I think, is um, making its rounds in the sales and marketing profession um, around if you can't action on it, why do you have it uh, type of question that I think resonates here. And I think, again, goes along the lines of creating data trust with your customers, uh, because the more you collect and create a dragnet, the more nefarious uses or, you know, not even sometimes unintentional uses um, can happen and really create huge problems for brands. Um, and then, you know, getting into the next level around cybersecurity threats, um, how are you staying ahead of the curve when it comes to keeping this data about your customers secure and safe? Yes, uh, this is what we say, like, uh, learn from others and let others learn from you. So that is what I mean by that is we do participate in different type of forums from the information security professional as well as non-information security professional. That way we learn from each other. So that is like, that is one approach. Another very uh, good avenue for our learning has been the startup community. Mm. I do love the startup community because these small startups solve the problem much quicker, much faster than these big behemoths or dinosaur companies do. Uh, so that has been another avenues for our learning and sharing information. And are you doing these in person? Are these on Discord? Like, what are what are the typical mechanisms for sharing and learning for your team? All the above, all the in person, because yeah. there are in person formal uh, collaboration, informal collaboration, talking about something else, and then something else pops up, 
we just pick up the phone and talk. And other times we just, sometimes we just grab drinks and we talk about these things. So all the above. That's great. Um, let's talk a little bit about AI and uh, machine learning. So what's the most promising innovation that you're actually using at the moment when applied to cybersecurity? Yeah, there are multiple. Uh, one is like, so this is how I do think about use of AI and ML in information security or in general. Um, machine learning or AI, they are better than human on data analysis. That means wherever we are collecting the data uh, or wherever we are using the data, uh, there is a use for AI and ML. So thinking about any use case where we are using the data. We are using a whole lot of data in compliance, that is area, we do use it. We do use a lot of the data in threat analysis, our threat monitoring areas, our log collection, incident management. Those are all the areas where AI and ML can be used very efficiently because AI and ML can do it much quicker, much faster, and more accurate than a human does. So Yeah, I was going to say, can you give us some example of like the scale of improvement you've been able to put in place given some of these new innovations you're testing out? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially on the threat intel you know, within the security operations center. Uh, when we use the machine uh, learning, uh, we can get the data much quicker. 80% improvement over there. Uh, wow. we can, yes, 80% improvement. And then we can also use that to create the playbooks. So instead of human creating the playbooks uh, based on the patterns, the MI, um, ML and AI would create the cybersecurity play playbooks on its own. So, th so that's another area. Yeah, so just so I'm sure I understand that, essentially you're asking um, uh, the language model to tell you how it identified the risk and it writes it up for you. Yeah, that's yes, great. Absolutely. It's a data dump in one area, right? And yep. then uh, AI and ML, they look into the data patterns, use and all, and then they do help us create uh, the playbooks accordingly. And so what do you do with an uh, AI-generated playbook? Do you play it back into... Um, the AI to continue to get more um, accuracy out of Yes, it's a, uh, you call it like iterative learning. So sure. it refines over time. Uh, and then when it fails to accurately predict, it will automatically, that process automatically goes down and it starts another loop. That's interesting. How did, um, how does this, new type of workflow change the talent you need or change your team structure in any way? Yeah, it does a little bit because uh, it does augment uh, the talent to look into the higher level of pattern matching, uh, high level, higher level of decision making than doing this data collection and analysis by human eyes. So it is kind of elevating the work of 
from an operator to the analyst level. Yep. And um, I assume that the perpetrators that are um, working against you trying to break into the bank or uh, access the data, they're using as sophisticated models as you are at this point, right? So it's, it's almost like you have to fight fire with fire in that regard. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Um, tell me what's um, a good example that you could share, like a use case of something that, uh, other than this 80% uh, improvement, which is phenomenal, yeah. but is there something that the average uh, person who banks might be able to say, wow, that's amazing and thank you, because <laughs> you're protecting me in a way I didn't even know. Uh, I mean, uh, one other area is that uh, bank or financial institution can look at uh, AI ML is on the fraud detection. Right, because sure. fraud is another area where 100%. we collect a whole lot of data, and that is where the pattern matching and all those comes in. If one um, integrates the threat intel and then the internal analysis or internal data, and do some kind of uh, algorithmic uh, work there, I think there's a big opportunity there. Sure. So early detection on. Um someone who stole your credit card, for example, and is using it at a gas station and that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, that that's is, and also areas in the AML, anti-money laundering area, that is also mm -hmm. uh, Bank Secrecy Act, BSA, that is another area. So there's so much opportunity there. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, let's uh, switch to another aspect of your job. What role does the CISO play when it comes to compliance in banking? And how is AI and ML being deployed to assist with regulation? Yeah, I mean, uh, CISO plays a pretty significant role there because if you think about compliance, compliance sets the rule, but the implementation that more or less falls into the CISO's area, right? The privacy- so the adherence to the regulation, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, if there is a regulation there, how do we actually operationalize it within the bank or within any organization? A CISO is involved in those. So uh, there may be regulatory compliance, then how do we enforce that? CISO plays the role in that. So security operations, that is where we work hand in hand with the compliance, uh, privacy, uh, BSA, uh, team, fraud, all the above. And is there, um, is this an area where you're working with your RevOps team more? So in terms of making sure the things that are stored in CRM, uh, the material non-public information, for example, isn't shown to people who shouldn't be seeing it. How involved do you get with your RevOps teams when it comes to compliance and data capture and data display? A whole lot because, <laughs> yeah, a whole lot because we tend to, uh, collect, I mean, it's a human nature, right? We tend to collect more information, even when we don't need it. We all have our grandmas, myself included, my moms, and everybody collects the data, right? Everybody collects. So we are like, we are data hard. Uh, so that is one area that uh, we work with. And also we think about like, we are collecting the data, but are we, putting that in the right place? Are we putting that in the flat file versus 
are we putting that in a secure structured data base such as CRM? That is where we do talk with the revenue team quite a bit. Sure. And even around permissions, I imagine your early work in that and being interested in that, I'm sure plays a part. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, such a large organization. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we have to secure the data during the collection process itself. Uh, if we do not secure the data during the collection process and we think like, oh, we're going to collect the data and then secure afterwards, that will never deal happen. Deal with it later. You know, right? That will never happen. Right. So that is where the value of CRM comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you ever been called upon to have a difficult conversation about policies and breaches? And if so, how do you approach those sticky conversations? So that is usually, um, that is where the education comes in, right? The education, not just for the employee or the associate education, the education to the executives. So periodic education. So what what are those education look like? Uh, letting them participate in various activities. So for example, this month is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. We let the executive craft their message and talk to our associates or employees about cybersecurity awareness without me getting involved. So that way yeah. they are stakeholders. So all the executives are stakeholders in cybersecurity. So that is one avenue. Another is getting them interested through different kind of tabletop exercise with plausible scenarios. Let's take some of the examples from uh, like widespread breach, and then we play that as a scenario in our tabletop exercise, and we let them come with the decisions and all in a safe environment. That's when it's a, it becomes a learning environment. So that is second approach. And the third is be very open about the challenges. Do not sell them on the fear, but also do not overpromise them. Because sometimes we tend to tilt on either side. Sometimes we just like, we sell it too much on the fear and other time we overpromise them. Don't do that. So when we do that, we establish the trust with the executives and then they do support the program. What are a few tips that you have on how to strike that balance? I think I think your point is dead on, but that's tricky to do, right? So what's your internal compass on that? How do you navigate those waters? It's a lot many times it's a hit and trial. Uh, practice it over time. Because uh, establishing trust takes time. Breaking trust does not. Establishing trust takes time. So yeah. education in a safe environment, learning environment. So if we are, let's take an example of tabletop exercise, cyber tabletop exercise. Uh, instead of giving them a very tough assignment on the first go, give them a very easy assignment just to get their muscle memory kick in. They start practicing it and then you gradually start making it harder. You know, that's how you establish the trust. That's true with anything, right? So, John, 
we'd love the chance to peer into your crystal ball. So looking ahead, what trends or developments do you foresee in this landscape that you specialize in, especially concerning AI, ML, the, the new developments on the horizon that are changing the game for everyone? Yes, uh, I just see too many areas where AI and ML will be used extensively. Uh, and both of those are the areas of intensive data. So wherever we are uh, using more data, that is the playroom for AI and ML. So that means uh, in data analysis, customer data collection, creating the customer relationship management based on the customer behavior and all those things. So that is one area where I do see a lot of potential for AI and ML. Another is to support that security operations because when the business goes into data collection, data analysis and all, security has to play a part in securing those data that is where I do see more use of AI and ML in the security operations. So those are the two main areas that I do see. How about um, prediction? So prediction around fraud and all of that, is that inside of the two areas you're talking about or is that a different frontier from uh, your perspective? I would put that within those two buckets, but we can spell that out separately, but fraud, uh, AML, um, Secrecy Act, compliance and all, those fit into either in the back-end office, like security operations or the front-end into sure. the CRM area. And as you're looking at, um, particularly on the predictive side, as you're getting into the algorithms, are, are you guys, um, how do you think about auditing the algorithms and making sure that, you know, you don't make a bad call about someone, for example? Because uh, we, we know data sets could be flawed and all of the things that we know about. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody has cracked that yet. Uh, that is uh, still in development, but it only starts with the transparency, right? Because uh, my motto is do not use an algorithm that you do not understand, right? Do not go into a black box uh, thinking like, oh, we just collect the data and then this proprietary AIML model will do its magic and then something comes poof. No, that doesn't work that way. Because if yeah. you do not understand it, don't use it. Uh, if yeah. you cannot explain it, don't use it. Uh, yeah. I think we do still have to do a lot of homework there as a community there. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, like your your passion around learning, it sounds like put you in good stead here because of course you can think you understand everything. And then of course you learn about edge cases that you have to kind of bring back in. I, I bring this up because for example, my son was out of his geographic area where he normally uses his credit card and everything got shut down and he was being a good actor, but didn't call in. And of course fraud detection would pick that up, but it was his first time ever as a credit, you know, new credit card holder learning that. And, um, you know, just interesting to know what data points that we can be pulling in to be better at that. And where the acceptable, um, what I say, the, the acceptable ranges of mistake, um, like that one was obviously, because he just had to make a phone call to get it turned back on. 
So I think this kind of constant learning about what the data is telling us and what the algorithms are really surfacing for us in terms of human activity or bias or whatever the case may be is a, just a fascinating frontier, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As machine is learning, we as human, we are also learning, right? We are learning about the machine and we are learning about ourselves too. That's it. It's almost like a big mirror back to us, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, to close up, Sajana, you said you have a lot of resources that you use and it sounds like you have a really robust network of people that you rely on to keep yourself sharp. Are there any places that you would recommend a revenue operations or revenue technology specialist should go to get up to speed on your world and the things that they might do to help you? Yeah, absolutely. There are, um, I mean, I, I cannot recommend FSISAC, Financial Services Information Security and Coordinating Council enough because that is an industry focus. So if somebody is trying to generate the revenue uh, through financial services, providing services to the financial services, uh, that may be one industry particles, industry events one should attend. Uh, that way one can learn what's happening in the financial industries, as well as they get to talk to the cybersecurity professionals and all. Uh, and who knows, uh, we do need people from different fields, uh, maybe working in the cybersecurity for yep. some time. A rotation, yeah, that's yep, that's really interesting. Um, is there anywhere that uh, beyond the four walls of your institution where they could learn about this concept of data as a liability. Like, I think that's really a fascinating, like you said, mindset shift. Is there any group of people who talk that way that um, they could tap into or a book or podcast, or do you just need to write a book? Um, there are several. I mean, um, I, I cannot think of anything on top of my head right now, uh, but if I do remember, I'll just send that to you. Yeah, that's great. And maybe what we'll do is we'll Google it and see what we can find, because I think that's a really fascinating concept that um, good provocation for us to all talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I do remember, if I do find out, uh, I'll send that to you. Wonderful. Anything else you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh, I think we covered quite a bit, like a wide range of topics. <laughs> we did nothing, nothing jumps off. Very fun to talk to. Thank you so much, Sajan. Thanks yeah, for your time thank you. today and, and your interest in talking to us. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you.